0: Hello, I'm Ross Royden, the vicar of Christ Church Kowloon Tong here in Hong Kong. Thank you for listening to my podcast. This week's podcast is on St. Paul's letter to the Philippians, chapter 4, verses 10 to 23. The transcript of the talk can be found on my website, rossroyden.com. It is also posted in the Christ Church Facebook group. Please share the link to the podcast, With anyone who you think may find it of interest. I hope you'll want to come back next week for next week's podcast. We'll be returning to St. Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians. Have a great week ahead. With our second reading this week, we have come to the end of St. Paul's letter to the Philippians. Two of the main themes of Philippians are clearly in view in this final chapter of the letter. The first is the theme of joy. As we have seen, St. Paul uses the joy word group 16 times in the letter. Here in chapter 4, St. Paul writes emphatically, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I will say, Rejoice. Again, as we have noted previously in this series of sermons on the letter, St. Paul's primary meaning when he speaks of joy and rejoicing isn't that we should be happy. There will be times when we will be happy as believers. Very often, however, we'll be anything but. Happiness by its very nature is an emotion that depends on how we are feeling and on what is happening in our life. Joy is more than a feeling, and rejoicing is something we can do regardless of how we feel. Instead of using the word rejoice, we could, we could translate what St. Paul writes as celebrate in the Lord. Uh, this week I got a promotional email from Marks and Spencers, perhaps you got it as well, which said, celebrate with us. This is St. Paul's message. Only he tells the recipients of his message to celebrate in the Lord. To rejoice in the Lord is to celebrate who we belong to and what he means to us. This is something far more significant than feelings of happiness, which by their very nature are transient and circumstantial. It is because we rejoice in the Lord, St. Paul tells the Philippian believers in chapter 4, that we who have faith in Christ do not need to worry. Instead, we are to bring what is troubling us to God and ask him for his help and to give us what we need. It is because we have this confidence in the Lord and know that he will look after us that St. Paul can write, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God guards our hearts and minds, whatever happens to us. This then brings us to a second theme of the letter. It relates to the mind and how we as believers think. St. Paul uses the mind word group ten times in the letter. St. Paul has already Philippian believers to strive with one mind for the faith of the gospel. He has asked them to make his joy complete by being of the same mind. In chapter 4, he specifically asks two of his co workers who have fallen out with each other to put their differences aside and to be of the same mind. In chapter 2, he has told them and the other Philippian believers that they should have the same mind as that which was in Christ Jesus. He tells them all that those who are mature should be of the same mind, the same mind as he is in forgetting what lies behind and pressing forward to what lies ahead. St. Paul has told the Philippian believers that they should have the same mind, the same outlook, and the same way of seeing the world as Christ. Now, in chapter four, he also tells them actively to replace negative and wrong thoughts with positive and right ones. St. Paul encourages the Philippian believers to drive out evil thoughts by thinking good thoughts and filling their minds with what is holy. He writes, finally, beloved, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable. If there is any excellence and if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. To rejoice in the Lord is to rejoice in what glorifies the Lord and to reject everything that is contrary to our faith in him. Finally, in these last verses of chapter four, we come to one of the main reasons that St. Paul had for writing the letter in the first place. The church at Philippi had St. St. Paul a gift of money to support him as part of their partnership with him in the gospel. The Philippian believers were amongst St. Paul's most faithful supporters. He writes that they have supported him from the very beginning, even when he was in Thessalonica, when he first came to Macedonia. This gift of money has been brought to St. Paul by Epaphroditus, who nearly lost his life in the process. These last verses of chapter 4, then, are St. Paul's thank you for the gift they have sent him and his official receipt. Now, if you read these verses, they seem a rather complicated way of saying thank you. He doesn't actually say thank you, not the exact words. And so the question is, why doesn't he just come out with it and say thank you Philippians for your gift? Part of the reason is that he is following the conventions of the day for how to express thanks for a gift. Even today we have established formats, don't we? For writing the different types of letters. Another part of the reason, however, is that he has told the Philippian believers that they should not worry, but make their requests known to God. He has also just told them in the passage immediately before our reading for this week that they should follow his example. St. Paul needs to be seen to be following his own advice. He doesn't want the Philippian believers to think that God has failed to provide for him now that he is in prison. Instead, he writes that he sees the Philippian believers gift as above all an offering that they have made to God and which God has shared with him, just as priests shared in the offering sacrificed to God in the temple. When we give the offertory each week, this is our offering to God. We're saying, God, this is our gift to you. And just as I've said, as the priests in the temple shared in the offerings, sacrificed to God, so too we as a church share in our collective offerings as we work together in partnership in the gospel. St. Paul himself has learned to be content whether he has little or a lot, He can do all things he writes through God who strengthens him regardless of his material circumstances. Nevertheless, he is genuinely grateful to the Philippian believers for their concern for him. God, he writes, will provide for their needs too. As the Philippian believers show with their gift, however, and as St. Paul acknowledges, when God provides, he provides through his people. We refer in the creed to the communion of saints. The communion of saints is a real communion, a communion of all those, both past and present, who have faith in Christ. For those of us in the present, our spiritual communion is not simply a spiritual communion, but a practical one as we share with each other in the partnership we have in the gospel, preaching, and sharing the gospel with those who haven't heard it. The Philippian church's gift to St. Paul showed how they thought and what their outlook and priorities were. So what can we learn from this? St. Paul makes it very clear in the letter to the Philippian believers that how and what they think is important. What goes on in our minds matters. We have seen when we looked at St. Paul's letter to the church in Rome, how St. Paul tells the Roman believers that they are not to be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of their minds. Our minds as believers need to be constantly renewed. The way we think will determine what we do and how we live. So firstly, We need to reject a worldview that leads us to think and have attitudes and values that conflict with the gospel. Not only do sinful attitudes and thoughts come from within us, the world around us tries to shape the way we think and see things. We are constantly being encouraged to adopt a mindset and outlook that is opposed to God and what it means to be a follower of Christ. We are bombarded with images and ideas designed to lead us away from how God wants us to think and from having the mind of Christ. The Internet and what it has given rise to has taken this to a whole new level. The writer Yuval Noah Harari, who is certainly not sympathetic to those who believe in God, believes the time is soon coming when companies such as Google will know us better than we know ourselves. They will be able to use this knowledge to control us. They already do to a significant extent. For us as believers, this poses a far bigger threat than that posed posed in the past by hostile governments. Every moment of every day, we are being subjected to ideas and images at a conscious and unconscious level, designed to control our minds and thoughts, and so to influence our behavior and actions. It often amuses me that people in the West have so much to say about state control and about regimes which seek to influence how their citizens think, when they themselves are the most thought-controlled generation that has ever existed. Influencing how people think and behave is after all, what capitalism is all about. The consumer society is built on persuading people to buy things that they don't need, didn't know they wanted, and very often that they will never even use. If you want to see what mind control looks like, sit on the MTR, And count how many people are not staring at their phones. It won't take you very long. The sheer brilliance of capitalism has been in controlling people's thoughts and actions while all the time leaving them thinking that they are free and responsible for their lives and how they live them. The great achievement of the religion of self has been convincing people to believe that they have the freedom and power to live as they choose and to do what they want. The reality being that they choose what they are told to choose. Left to ourselves, we are powerless to resist and subject to forces beyond our control. A simple example makes the point. Have you ever had the experience of seeing a picture of yourself taken some years back? And have you had the experience of being thoroughly embarrassed by what you see? At the time, we thought we were just wearing what we should. We were following fashion. But we don't just follow fashion in what clothes we put on, We follow fashion in how we think and how we behave as a consequence. In every area of our lives, we are subject to unseen forces which exercise a powerful influence over us. But these aren't just the social, cultural and economic forces that I've been describing. These are themselves powerful enough. The Bible, however, describes how we are subject to spiritual powers, whether we believe in them or not. And these powers exercise their control over us, not least by controlling how we think and by shaping our worldview, ensuring that we conform to this world and, worse still, are obedient to the ruler of this world. Today we celebrate All Saints Day, The saints are those who, having found freedom in Christ, went on to have victory over the world through their faith in him. This is why the world hated them as it hated Christ before them. It is why it hates those today who, like the saints, put their faith in Christ and discover the peace and freedom only he can bring It is surely no coincidence that the world, at the time of year when we are celebrating the victory of the saints, prefers instead to celebrate not that victory, but images that represent the very forces of darkness that the saints fought against and triumphed over. Of course, I realize that most people do this thinking it all to be harmless fun. What they don't realize is that without knowing it, they are celebrating images of the forces that control them. The devil doesn't much care whether we believe in him or not, as long as we think and do what he wants. Secondly, not only are we to reject the worldview of the world, we are to have the mind of Christ. This isn't something that happens automatically but is something that we have to work at. It is something that we have to consciously make an effort to do. It means in the first place having the same attitude and outlook as our Lord. It also means replacing evil thoughts with good ones. It is perhaps worth saying at this point that many believers describe how they have thoughts they cannot help and of which they are ashamed. This will always be true until these bodies, of which our minds are a part, are themselves redeemed. Nor are we in this life able to escape the evil images and words with which we are constantly bombarded, even more so in this age in which we live than in previous ones. We do, however, need to resist them and resist their influence upon us. This means not simply avoiding that which is obviously evil, But also, as St. Paul tells the Philippian believers, thinking on that which is positive, good and true, St. Paul would urge us to take control of what goes into our minds. The reason that St. Paul is so concerned in chapter three about the false teaching of those he calls the dogs is he knows that what we think and believe inevitably affects how we live. He wants the Philippian believers not only to reject false teaching, but to make knowing Christ and having a relationship with him the goal of their lives. All this can sound very theoretical, but as St. Paul shows, it affects every aspect of how we live our lives, not least in our attitude to material goods and money. We are to be thankful for what we have rather than constantly wanting more. Rather than worrying, we are to make our requests known to God, knowing that God will provide for our needs, not necessarily our wants, but certainly our needs. We are to stop competing with others and promoting ourselves, and instead we are to seek to work in partnership with each other in proclaiming the gospel. All this is hard, but we have the assurance that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And when we are tempted to give up and despair, as we will be, we know that God promises that his peace will guard our hearts and minds. St. Paul explains to the Philippian believers, That he wants them to be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation in which they shine like stars in the world. The writer to the letter to the Hebrews tells us that we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Today is their day and we thank God for the witness of those in Christ who went before us. They too faced great opposition, but they conquered by the word of their testimony and the blood of the Lamb. St. John tells us, the greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. The challenge we face as we seek to live for Christ may seem a daunting one, but the saints show us what can be achieved by those who trust, as they did, in the one who promises not only to be with us, but to be in us. Today we honour the saints. We give thanks to God for them, for their faith and courage. We ask them to pray for us, that we too may shine like them, and like them overcome through faith in him who died for us, but whom God has so exalted, that as St. Paul tells the Philippian believers,